Hello, and welcome back to the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist Podcast. This is part two of our four-part interview. As I mentioned in episode 17, I'll be releasing one episode each week instead of all four at one time, and so this is part two, meaning we have two more left. Now, my guest for this episode, Elise George, and J.C. Whiteman, who's a health coach in Utah, is going to be joining me this summer for our Peace and the Plate event. And there we're going to be teaching participants how to trust themselves with food, how to sift through the media's portrayal of health, and to realize that they're not just a problem that's keeping them unhealthy, but they're also the solution to get the health that they're looking for. So if you're interested in that, there will be more information available at CordellNutrition.com. I'll have the link in our show notes, and you can follow me online uh, for more information at the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Now, real quick, trigger warning. In our episode today, we're going to be talking about infertility and disordered eating. So just a heads up that if you feel like that's a little too emotional or tough for you, that that is what we're going to be discussing. Now, in our last episode, Elise was discussing the ideas of perfection and vulnerability, and we talked about the role that that will play in our changes. But when we left, Elise was talking about her struggle with disordered eating, and we're going to pick it up from there. But just by way of reminder... Disordered eating can be habits that are unhealthy foods, that are unhealthy towards our food, but they're not necessarily diagnosed as an eating disorder. So she's going to be talking about infertility and doctors and conversations that she has had, and we'll talk about that more in the episode. Without further ado, Elise George. This is Zach Cordell, registered dietitian and host for the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, where food, faith, and science meet. This podcast is not intended to be individualized medical advice. As always, please consult with a medical professional in your area to make sure that your medical history is taken into account to make sure that you get the best care possible. Yeah, going back to the disordered eating, um, yeah, just like long periods of either starvation or, you know, you make goals at the beginning of every term or every year. Okay, this year or this term, I'm going to stay under 300 calories a day. I'm only going to eat this particular thing from that dining hall. And I need to make sure that I go to the gym at eight because it closes at 11. And if I don't do it, then I'm a terror. And you assign value when you fail and you will inevitably fail. And so that happened and it waxed and waned in in its extremity of practice all through college and even afterwards. But it all came down to that same fundamental thing you were talking about. Like it has to do with self-worth and I just had no self-worth. And I thought all of my self-worth was wrapped up into Um, what I looked like because what I looked like in my mind dictated if I was ever going to get married which at first I didn't really think about it too much but then once I joined the church and again no fault to the church I love the gospel and I'm so glad I joined the church but there is a strong emphasis on getting married and that that especially when you're a YSA um, every (laughs) every activity is designed designed around who you date or that, that you meet somebody that you can date and then eventually you ride off towards the temple happily ever after. Right. And um, I did not, and I have never looked like the stereotypical um, 
LDS, I don't even want to, I don't want to say trophy wife, but I just didn't look like all the other girls. I right. was taller, I was broader, I was curvier. And as I saw all of them get picked and I knew I wasn't like, I, to me, it's like, Oh, I'm smart enough. Like I went to Dartmouth or I'm musical. Like I'm a musician. I'm spiritual. I think um, I'm keeping my covenants. I'm doing what I think is right. And so to me, it was, it's your body. And, and so that just further fueled um, my justification for dieting and exercising. Right. And that got, that got worse um, over time. So, so do you think that those pressures were internal or external or both? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, definitely internal because I experienced it before I joined the church. Um, and, uh, you know, e- even if you aren't a member of the church, you, everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to be accepted. Right. And I think romantic love is a human need or even a spiritual need that everybody is seeking and need, you know, like that... I don't know. And so to have that, whether it was inside the church or outside the church before I joined or after I joined, that was always going to be part of it. I didn't have boyfriends in high school or anything like that. So that has always been a void for me. And I just thought if I can make myself good enough, thin enough, pretty enough, um, a boy will like me, whether it was, uh, to go to the temple and get married or before that, just to go on a date or something like that. Yeah. And And I think a lot of it has to do with like, Weight is something that you can very much point at. Yeah. And you're like, and it, this is the problem. This mm-hmm. is the only problem. And if I could fix this yeah. problem, everything else would be fixed. Yeah. But exactly. it's not it's not that clean cut. Yeah. And weight, I feel like the study of bariatrics has changed over time. And in the past it seemed like something that was just like so controllable. Which to some extent I, I know that some people are more able to control their weight than others where it's just like, just stop eating bonbons and Klondike bars and (laughs) go walk around the block. Okay. Well tell that to the 22 year old girl who is spending three hours at the gym and eating 300 calories a day. Why, why won't her weight budge and her Mm -hmm. BMI is in the, is classified as obese or overweight. So if the calories in calories out method or feeling like it's just easily controllable, like dyeing your hair. um, Right is kind of frustrating. And then to go back to what you're saying about external, I was frustrated that once I joined the church, and again, this is not a gospel doctrine thing. This is sometimes I think what is a cultural thing mm-hmm. is, is the emphasis on our physical appearance. And I was really like, I was really surprised that when I joined the church, I found out that like the the incidence of plastic surgery per capita was really high in Utah. And I was like, that can't be right because I just learned I just learned in the discussions that we came to earth to get a body and our body is sacred and it's a gift. And so why are people like why I it just didn't make sense in my mind. And again, no shame to people who have made that choice for themselves. Sure. But but there is, I feel like, a more of an emphasis on physical appearance, more so over other characteristics. And I'd get frustrated, and this hasn't happened in a while, but years ago. I would get frustrated when I heard people talk about other people and they'd gossip or whatever. And they'd say, Oh, she's a sweet spirit. And I think we all know what the code, like what code for sweet spirit is. What, what and is I don't, the code for that? Elise? I don't, I right, don't know. Like she's a I've nice never... girl, right? Like <laughs> she's a nice girl, but she's not pretty or she's not thin, but she's a, or there's something 
like deficient about her in some way. She's right. a sweet spirit. And to me, that's like the same condescending, like, oh, bless her heart. Like, no, you, you're, <laughs> you, on the outside, it sounds like you're being nice, but really that's just, co- I don't know. And maybe I'm getting too much on the soapbox, but I have heard that word in New Hampshire or that term in New Hampshire, in Oregon, in Utah. Um, I've heard it from friends, members of the church that live all over the world. Um, and so I feel like the term sweet spirit is like fairly ubiquitous and it, and it makes me really frustrated and it makes me concerned. And it really made me concerned as a young adult when I was in my early twenties, like, is that what people are saying about me? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, she's a sweet spirit. Like she's nice and she's spiritual and she is smart, but dot, dot, dot. None of those things matter. Let me ask, let me ask this. Do you think, um, because this is a common thing that people will say that yeah. the, the way that you look doesn't matter, but the confidence you have about yourself is the bigger portion. Do you think that that is true or not? I'd love to get your opinion on that. Um, that if that, so like, it's, it's how you wear what you, what you got. I will say that that has made a difference for me, at least internally, And I think in some ways it's changed how people have like treated me or maybe talked about other people. It's like if somebody was to say, you're fat. And then I go, you're right. I am cool. And then suddenly like the air is taken out of that insult. Right. Or um, I love that quote from JK Rowling who talks about how like, is fat really the worst thing a girl could be or a person could be? Is, is that worse than being vindictive or spiteful or, and she lists a bunch of very unchristlike qualities. Right. And so just embracing that part of it. Like, and I was te- teaching about this actually just a few months ago in, in gospel doctrine, we were covering Isaiah and there's that scripture in Isaiah that talks about the women minced as they walked and with their, t- like the tinkling bells and all, the, all their accoutrements and things like that. And in the lesson manual, there was a, a quote from one of pre- now deceased prophets who said that this is about the, the people in the latter days, like don't read this and think it's just about Isaiah's time. Isaiah was prophesying about our time and about specifically about members of the church. And so in teaching that lesson, I just, I kept saying people like your looks are literally the least interesting thing about you. Not just, and I don't think heavenly father cares one bit. If you have blue, you know what I mean? He's not, he doesn't assign value to whether you're fat or thin or, Right, he just wants you to keep the commandments, keep your covenants, serve him, serve your fellow men, love other people, and he doesn't care if I do those things at this weight, at a lower weight, at a higher weight. Um, and so that was just like, and I feel like the more that I've talked about these things, whether it's online or in person or in class or with friends, just your your looks are the least interesting thing about you. Um, I think people realize that like, I don't care anymore what people think about how I look and that they shouldn't care what they think about how they look or how other people look. But how do you, how do you do that? Right. Because we're in a world where that's like what people do, right? Like that's how you define yourself and your worth is on the way that you appear in the world. Right. So how do we step out of that? Because part of it is. We're like swimming in diet culture. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, like, Mm -hmm. telling people that we shouldn't give that credence, 
I completely mm-hmm. agree. But it's yeah. not a simple thing to do. Oh, no, not at all. And I mean, as much as I'm st- sitting here talking about this, like, I struggle with, even now, I'm like, oh man, maybe I should be drinking celery juice because everybody else is drinking celery <laughs> Please juice. Please do not drink celery juice. Right? I'm like <laughs> looking into juicers on Amazon and then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? I don't need this. I'm perfectly happy with that celery juice. I'll be fine. Okay. Let's take a break real quick from celery juice and then we'll be back. Now, in previous episodes, I have discussed being blown about by every wind of diet doctrine and how people become martyrs to their diets. And what's interesting is that every new generation thinks their parents were just ignorant. And that's why the Paleo, the Atkins, the Weight Watchers, the South Beach, and so on did not work. But keto, keto's the answer. But it, it's not, okay? And we'll talk about that at different times. But if you're trying to get out of the health rat race, then just be healthy rather than just getting healthy. But you just want to be healthy. Be sure to register for the Peace in the Plate event that's going to be taking place in Lehigh, Utah on August 10th. Uh, Like I said before, Elise will be joining me, also J.C. Whiteman, and there's more information on this at CordellNutrition.com. But just taking a step back is an excellent way to get your bearings and move forward with progress on your health journey. And that's what we're going to be discussing at the Peace in the Plate event. But let's get back to how Elise decided she didn't need no celery juice. Even now, after going through a lot of stuff I've gone through and, and trying to change, it's, it's ubiquitous and it's really pervasive and it's hard. And I think part of it, like especially cultivating confidence is you just like fake it till you make it. And I used to hate that and I'm like, that'll never change how I think. And I used to think mantras and whatever were dumb because I didn't believe it. Like I can't look in the mirror and be like, I am awesome if I don't believe I'm awesome. And it didn't really do much for me, but, but little by little, I did start to help not necessarily the mantras, but by trying to practice that confidence in person with other people or out in public, because my self-esteem was so low. My body image issues were so bad. I could not eat in public. I couldn't Mm -hmm. go, I couldn't go like out in public if it was crowded because I'd worried if what people looked at me or, and it's like, I was, I've been a perfectly normal functioning adult. I've been a size 16 the majority of my life, adult life. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being smaller or bigger than that, but no, like, like a lot of this sort of dysmorphic view about my body was really pervasive. I wouldn't eat because in public, cause I didn't want people to 
judge what I was eating and being like, oh my gosh, she's eating a salad and she has tomatoes on it. Doesn't she know tomatoes have sugar? That's why she's so fat. <laughs> or sorry, I'm that's not I'm just laughing because it's like it's so true, right? Yeah. And I actually posed the question to my students today. I said, mm-hmm. is it harder to be healthy and overweight or healthy and normal weight? And they're like, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know what you're asking, right? But the reality is is like if you're thin, then you can eat whatever you want. And nobody's oh, judging you yeah. because you you can just like it, it's going to burn off of you. Right. But if yep. you're overweight and you're eating a salad, everybody's thinking, oh, well, you're trying to lose weight. Right. No, oh, I'm just yeah. choosing to be healthy. And but or, there's added. Pressure. I just am craving a salad. Right. right like right. I would like, like a salad, I just right really now. want broccoli or. Yeah. I mean, and I so, always want salad when they want to go to Olive Garden. So I'm not trying to be healthy when I go to Olive Garden. I just want a what? salad in there. It's <laughs> not like the number one health food restaurant. Anyway. But yeah, a lot of people think that like if you're you're overweight, you should do things to, to become normal weight, right? But yeah. your normal weight might be different than someone else's normal weight. That's the whole yeah. idea behind, behind the set point theory is that your body has a weight that it yeah. wants to be at. And no matter how much you yeah. starve a Tongan, they're not going to turn into somebody from the Marshall <laughs> Islands, right? Like they're not going to turn right. into somebody from Japan. Like the body yeah. is different. And so there's the joke yeah. of like, I'm big boned. But in reality, you have a different skeletal structure than other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't necessarily diet your way out of that skeletal structure. Yeah, exactly. That's what I have found. And I've actually thought about this before because I know that um, like the recidivism rate with dieting is really high. People fail all the time. It's like 95% mm-hmm. or something crazy high. And I know that it can mess up with your, mess up your metabolism. And the other day I was thinking, what would I look, what would my weight look be like now had I never dieted? Yeah. And I had just let my body do its own thing, had a healthy relationship with food, practice intuitive eating, um, like f- stopped eating when I felt full and not had a scarcity mentality about food or certain types of food, whatever. Like, what if I just kind of let my body do its own thing? Maybe I, cause I'm like, I'm a, a couple, I'm probably 30 pounds heavier than I was when I was in college, maybe 40 pounds heavier than I was in college, which isn't great. And I, it's kind of embarrassing to admit on the internet. Um, <laughs> but right. We're being real and vulnerable. I guarantee um, you, you are <laughs> not alone. Yeah. Right? And I mean, and I still kind of wear the same size clothes, which is crazy. But anyway, um, and so I just wonder, is that my body or is that then as a result, like my body just doesn't know what to do anymore because I've abused it for so long. And so I've just been trying to navigate that journey. But it's interesting. You said, like, is it easier to be like healthy and overweight versus unhealthy and normal weight? Because I have faced that particular stigma with anytime I have to go to a doctor and there's that old, right? Like the fat phobia and size phobia or whatever you want to call it in the medical community. Um, the old trope of like, you have a broken arm, just lose weight. Like you have, you have have pink eye. Just have you tried losing a few pounds? And that recently came to a head. Um, and as you probably know from Instagram and the blog, my husband and I are trying to have a baby. We started seeing a fertility specialist. Um, and I haven't really shared this with people beyond like, my close friends and coworkers. So if you don't want to, hello, share, internet. I don't no, want I'm very, I've, no, 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 we're good. We're two, it's been two months since this appointment. So I've very much processed the emotions. Okay. Um, but our first, our first appointment with the fertility specialist, we were there for two hours. 
And he looked at me and he was like, you're too fat to ever conceive a child naturally. And I want to punch that person miracle, in the face. <laughs> he goes, if by some miracle you can conceive naturally, or even if we do IVF, your body will kill the baby. And then he proceeded to just talk more about my weight. And I told him how I was born with a variety of metabolic issues, which again goes into why my body has always been big, but um, I have insulin resistance. I've had insulin resistance since I was a kid um, anyway, and a lot of other things. And my body just, it has always stumped doctors. I've tried different medications to try to fix hormone levels, whatever. So I tell this to the doctor, hoping that maybe he can say, oh, maybe these like hormonal issues are related to fertility or whatever, but he didn't want to hear it. And I told him, I said, the only way I've ever lost weight, because he told me, he's like, you should probably lose 85 pounds. And again, if you can imagine, I'm like a size 16, maybe an 18, depending on the the, uh, clothing manufacturer. And I know women who have gotten pregnant accidentally who are 100 pounds heavier than me. Sure. Um, And shorter. So he was using my BMI as the marker to tell me that I was too fat. And so I looked at him and I said, so if I go get liposuction tomorrow, my weight will be lower and my BMI will be lower. Can I conceive then? And he goes, well, no, it doesn't work like that. And I looked at him and I said, well, then you're not asking me about my weight. You're asking me about my health and you're using BMI as an indicator of my health. You haven't asked me like about my cardiovascular health, how much, like how far, how quickly I can run a mile. You aren't asking me how many vegetables I eat, how much water I drink. You aren't looking at cholesterol levels. None of those things. He's not actually looking at my health he's just looking at my bmi to go back to your point about being overweight and healthy and i'm not the healthiest person on the block but i don't think i'm as unhealthy as the stigma associated with my bmi would present first i want to apologize um (laughs) like that that is really frustrating yeah. And um, so I cried. I cried for a long time. Sure. And I thought all we've ever wanted, to, like my husband has wanted to be a dad since he was five years old or younger. And it's because of my choices. And I started to slip back into my old disordered sure. eating thoughts. Right. All of my, all of my old stuff about you're a piece of human garbage. You, um, you're so lazy and undisciplined. And why can't you get this under control? You're disciplined enough to go to school and do really well and to study music and to whatever. Why can't you be disciplined enough to be 150 pounds or whatever? And so all that stuff came back. And this was just, this was in December, two months ago. And uh, yeah, it was really hard. And it took finally confiding in people to be like, uh, you might want a new doctor or that doesn't seem very sound. Well, and that's, and, I, I am so yeah. happy that this is the second part is like, the fact that you had the confidence to say those things yeah, just tells me that like you are comfortable with who you are. I like, and not, not like perfectly, not that yeah. there's never going to be an issue or that you don't have <laughs> doubts, but yeah, I mean like totally. the fact that you can stand up for yourself because mm-hmm. you're like, you're not necessarily asking the right question because they're not focusing on healthy behaviors. The reason that the liposuction wouldn't fix it is because they want to make sure that you have the healthy behaviors. But he yep. wasn't asking about behaviors. He was asking about the number yep. on the scale. And yep. I, I mentioned this in, an, in a previous podcast where BMI can be a useful tool, but it's mm-hmm. incomplete. It's not, it's not an end-all, be-all. Just like the number on the scale is not an end-all, be-all. It's just a tool, mm-hmm. right? It's totally. like going and working as a mechanic and only using a monkey wrench, and that's the, that's the only tool you've got. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to get everything done, right? 
So yeah. in looking at health, you have to look at behaviors, like you have to look at diet, you have to look at physical activity, you have to look at family history, you have to look at all of those things. It's not yeah. just, well, you're overweight, that's the problem. Yeah. And it's not the problem. And, and so I agree with your friends that if, like, yeah. if you don't feel like that doctor is on your side and understanding yeah. and you can't have those conversations and then say, I'm sorry, you are right, that is not what I'm asking, Mm-hmm. then you are yeah. a big part of your medical care. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Most people just kind of think the doctor's going to tell me what to do and I, I'm going to listen to the doctor. But right. you know yourself. Yeah. And I, my grandfather was a physician and I respect the medical community. And so, and obviously they went to medical school and they've been practicing medicine forever. So I feel like there's some respect right. owed, right? But and it's not so much that he told me it, it was the finality of like, you will never at right. your weight. That was the first problematic thing. The second thing was he never talked to my husband about his weight. Um, uh-huh. And my husband has a higher BMI as well. Which is a whole other conversation. Um, he spent like two hours just lecturing me about mine. But the thing that really made all of the alarms go off for me was when I said, okay, doctor, um, the only time I've ever lost weight is through extreme starvation. I lost 50 pounds a couple of years ago by, again, going back to old eating habits, except then I amped it up with diet pills and obviously most of that weight came back. Um, a surprise to no one. Um, so I said to him, so I've only done this through these practices. And he said, oh, good. So you've been able to lose weight before, so you should be able to do it again. And I said, yeah, but I'm going to have to probably be doing this type of behavior again. And he goes, well, if that's what gets you started down the path and kind of jump starts the first 20 to 25 pounds. And then he said, if you, um, if that stalls, we can get you some like appetite suppressants or pills to help you out. And then if that really isn't working, we should look into getting gastric bypass for you. And I was like, <laughs> and that's really, that's pretty much that that was the biggest thing that made me. And, and again, like a mm. hundred, like respect for doctors in the medical community, but when they're prescribing um, or suggesting disorder? or being okay with unhealthy practices so that basically they can practice lazy medicine where you're fat and you just need to fix it and everything will be fine. That's, that's really where I came into question. If the doctor had said, you know, we're going to try some stuff, we're going to run some tests, but we found that if you could lose 10 to 15 pounds, that might help. Right. Um, let me look into some resources for you. Let me really talk to you about your concerns with your metabolism and your insulin and your other hormones. That would be a totally it's different totally, story. Right. That's a whole different yeah. conversation, right? Because he, yeah. if you're going to come in with the finality of it and you're just blindly saying, let's chop things off, like that's yeah. not, that's not a healthy thing, right? And yeah. you're going to that doctor <laughs> Going back to the vulnerability thing, you are going to that doctor with like one of the most vulnerable things that you could ever imagine with one of like the biggest dreams that you ever have in your life. And they're saying that like, that's a hard thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that weight loss cannot be beneficial. There are certain times where weight loss can be helpful. um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is not the end all be all. The weight loss is not the final goal health is the final goal and health is about behaviors and sustainability so even if you lost all of that weight and then everything went well 
like if you have done damage to your body just to get to that point, mm-hmm. then that's going against what we're trying to establish. Right. And yep, hundred percent. And it was really, we've gone through all the testing now, all the initial testing. And at the end, it was really validating to find out that like the, probably the primary cause of why we ha- can't have children has nothing to do with my weight. Right. And we're not going to go back to see that doctor, at least not for right now. We're going to go see a different one and what, and look into other options. But it was really validating to be like, okay, like my spidey senses or <laughs> whatever, we're good. And I was really great. I mean, I did fall into those negative patterns for 48 hours, a couple days, but I'm glad that, uh, I mean, one of the things that helped is I, I went online and I looked for like basically like communities where, curvy women or plus size women have conceived. And I'm like, there are thousands of women who do right. this. Like, what the heck? Like that this isn't this isn't the reason why. And it, it was validating. So that's a long, vulnerable rambling to your point about <laughs> the stigma like the health stigma or the health assumptions that are made by your weight. Now it's about that time that I remind you you are not your weight, that your weight is not determining your worth, and that health is really a sum of our behaviors, not a number on the scale. This has been a pretty emotional show, and I'm really glad that you joined us. If you feel like this has resonated with you, then feel free to join us on August 10th for the Peace and the Plate event. We're going to be real. We're going to be vulnerable, but believe me, it'll be a lot of fun. A couple of caveats from our episode. I'm not telling people to ditch your doctor. I'm not telling you not to listen to them or to be combative. I'm not telling you to bring in Dr. Google and all of what you've researched to tell them that they're wrong. But I'm telling you that you should be a part of your medical care and not just a recipient of it. So you should be comfortable having conversations with your doctor and being able to ask questions to them. So thanks again for joining us this week. Our episode next week will be more with Elise George, but we'll be talking about advertising, body positivity, and self-worth, and how it's maybe a little bit difficult to remember that you're worth it. But feel free to join us next week. Until then, this has been the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Talk soon.